Hello and welcome back. You're listening to the ACAP Coffee Break with Meg Murray, a podcast from the Association for Community Affiliated Plans. Thanks for listening. Today's episode features Michael Schrader, CEO of Health Plan of San Joaquin and the chair of ACAP's Medicaid Policy Committee. Here's Meg. Michael, welcome to our ACAP Coffee Break podcast. We're delighted to have you here. Thank you, Meg. Um, Good to be here. And we'll hear about your um, career and your time at both CalOptima and at um, Health Plan of San Joaquin. You're one of the um, actually not so unique um, CEOs that have been at a number of ACAP safety net plans. And so we're really interested in your perspective on the safety net plans. But wanted to just start with maybe um, a little overview. Maybe you want to give us just a brief overview of San Joaquin, the plan. Um, but then really, what, what led you to healthcare? Sure. Um, well, the, the, the health plan of San Joaquin, where I'm now, at now, we uh, we have about 360,000 members. We serve two different counties in California, and we primarily administer Medi-Cal. But um, but I, I get I get that question uh, a lot. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you have a degree in aerospace engineering, and yet you work for a health plan. How the heck did did that happen? And uh, it's funny because when I was in college, I, I remember someone older than me uh, who also had an aerospace engineering degree and ran a car dealership of all things. And I remember this person telling me, you know, a degree is just a ticket. You, you don't know what you'll do in life. And I remember at the time being young and uh, thinking a lot of myself, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And so, but 10 years later, you know, uh, that was my story. But um, um uh, you know, I, I I did work for five years as an aerospace engineer. I, I worked on Vandenberg Air Force Base, and uh, that's where they launch missiles. So they 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 they'll take a missile out of a silo in North Dakota, bring it to Vandenberg, make sure it still works, and they put satellites in orbit. But but I, I worked on the ground station side of it, so the control center and radars and 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 uh, telemetry and that sort of thing. And, um, and the really the highlight of that was as a as a young engineer on this Air Force base, um, and a lot of technicians who had been there for years. Um, when the START treaty came along, uh, uh, I had a visitor from the Pentagon who was asking me, "We need you to sort of flowchart uh, how the data, the telemetry, flows from the missile in flight to to the ground stations and how it's." how it's uh, recorded on tape, because we're going to give that tape to, to the Russians. That's, that's how the START Treaty works. And so this was, my, this was my job, and I would go around the base, uh, which covers you know, 40 miles of coastline. There's lots of different stations. And, um, and I was experiencing these technicians who had been there for years, and I would ask them for this information. And, and they were very much, why do you want it? What are you going to do with it? And, and you know, it was just foreign to them that uh, they would give me information to give to the Russians sort of thing. So, but, um, uh, but ultimately, ultimately that led to, there was a start uh, a negotiation meeting with the Russians and it was in Washington, DC. And it was at the Rand Corporation because I remember they couldn't let Russians into the Pentagon. So it was at the Rand Corporation. And uh, and so I was a part of that. There was there were twelve of us, twelve of them, and I had a very limited role, which which was, Michael, explain to them what you explained to us, and don't change a word how the telemetry gets from the missile to the to the tape. Um, so so that was a that was a good experience, 
And I, I did that for five years, but I was, I was still in my twenties and I really wanted to live in Santa Barbara, really wanted to live in Santa Barbara. <laughs> and, um, you know, cause I'm working on this air force base and I'm living by the air force base and Santa Barbara just yearned. I mean, <laughs> I had to get there. I had to live there. I had to work there. And so there was this small mom and pop health plan. Uh, and it was called the Santa Barbara Regional Health Authority at the time, now known as ThinCal. Um, uh, uh, but um, they were building their own, they were endeavoring to build their own health information system. So you think about uh, um, the QNEXT or FACETS or that's Diamond. It was, that's what they were wanting to build for themselves. And so I was hired on. And um, uh, I remember my first day uh, I got there and I was led down to the basement and I thought uh, you're going to show me my office, but they took me down to the basement and there were three other people, a couple of consultants and someone else who worked there. And they said, the four of you are going to build the system. You're going to be located down here in the basement. (laughs) And so I remember saying, uh, well, gosh, where's my desk? Where's Where's a chair? And they showed me a big heap over in another corner of the basement. And they said, you can grab your desk and your chair from that heap. But <laughs> uh, um, that was the was best, really a startup, huh? best experience. I mean, I still reflect back on that year, that maybe year and a half in the basement. And it was the highlight of my career. I mean, um, uh, working with the, the, these three other individuals, um, working together as a team, um, uh, feeling like we were doing something really meaningful and we were for the, for the health plan. And, um, it was just a great ex- experience. And, um, um, uh, and I, it was just, a, it was a different culture. So, you know, coming from an air force base with almost all engineers and, um, going to the health plan, it was just a, a different mix of people. And, um, uh, the health plan was very small, very cost conscious. They just talked a lot about members, 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 serving members, taking care of members, uh, helping the low income. I just had this um, impact and it, um, it was easy to make a difference. And uh, I, I was all in on the mission. And because I thought, well, I'll help them build this system and then I'm going to move on. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go to Raytheon or I'm going to go to some other company defense company, but um, I never left. Hmm. Well, I realize I undersold you because that means you've been at four ACAP safety net plans, not three. Uh, I have, yes. So I've been at uh, SingCal Health, uh, then Boston Medical Center Health Net Plan, uh, and then back to California, CalOptima, and now the health plan of San Joaquin. Yeah. And I didn't realize we have something in common then because I actually was born at Minot Air Force Base and my father worked on the missile silos. Okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's where I got my start. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so um, what um, this has been such a um, 
you know, tremendous time really to be working on healthcare, to being helping addressing the pandemic. And I know you were doing great stuff. Um, I think you were in the middle of it when you left from Cal Optima, but can you talk about what your health plan in San Joaquin did with the vaccine rollout and some of the ways that you're working to get your folks vaccinated? Sure. Yeah, it started in, in the summer of 2020 when we had the big surge that was uh, across the nation, a surge in cases and a surge in hospitalizations. And and here in the Central Valley of California, uh, we were especially impacted. So um, uh, so um, we uh, we were talking to our hospital partners and, and, and they were sort of operating at capacity and beyond and saying, You've got to address this at the front end. Um, um, you know, if you're trying to help us once they're in the hospital, it's sort of too late. Um, so we, one of the first things we did was a, a campaign, and um, so uh, it was, you know, it was billboards all across both counties we operate in. Some something like nearly 30 billboards and transit buses and and social media, paid social media and print and radio and. And at the message at the time, you know, sort of the three W's, wash your hands, watch your, watch your distance and wear a mask. Um, uh, we also, during that time, we, we hosted a local convening. So uh, what was happening is uh, the skilled nursing facilities uh, um, were needing to be careful. So um so they weren't necessarily operating at full capacity um, because they needed to put in place precautions. And so uh, uh, people getting discharged from the hospital who would normally go to skilled care, long-term care, uh, uh, which is always, there's always, there's, there's always placement issues there, but it was especially impacted. So we, we held a local convening with all the post-hospital providers so home and community-based services uh, type providers. Um, uh, we had 70 different providers and we had, uh, we had the pro, uh, 70 different representatives from these, these providers and, and we had each provider share, uh, this is what we do. This, these are the services that's a, that are available. This is the capacity. These are the types of people we can accept. Uh, to make our community aware of other alternatives um, to, to, to long-term care uh, at the time. So we did that. Um, we, we partnered with the California Medical Association and uh, uh, our local medical society on um, PPE distribution. So we did a drive-by on PPE distribution uh, day at, at the health plan. And um, so that was so that small provider offices, small to medium size, could could get access to that to that um, uh, those materials that they needed, um, and and it was free. And so uh, so we did that, and then um, we partnered with our county and with the schools, so the office of uh, education, and we. We provided um, 300, and 300 plus thousand masks for kids that were in sort of the, uh, those, those sizes, appropriate sizes for K through 12. Um, so, so we did that. So that we did that in the summer. And then, and then in the winter, when the vaccines started to 
become available. We started calling our members uh, to get them in to vaccination clinics, to get them to the front of the line. We, we helped staff vaccination clinics. So we partnered with counties and public and private hospitals. And when they were having, uh, we, uh, we would, we would um, pay for HBSJ staff to go over to those clinics and help staff those clinics, the front end, the sort of the registration part. Uh, we did that, and then and then we launched um, a second outreach campaign. And this time the message was different. It was that the vaccines are safe, the vaccines are effective. You know, here's here's where you go to get vaccinated. Here's here's the number that you you call. So, um, but even even with all of that, and I and we're we're not the only plan in California to uh, that kind of uh, public plan, the safety net plan that um, helped do those, a lot of different plans did those same sorts of things. But he, even with that, the today, um, uh, the vaccination rate for Californians is uh, 57% are fully vaccinated, uh, you know, as of July, um, 2021, but uh, it's 25% lower for Medi-Cal beneficiaries. So 57 minus 25. So uh, that's a significant difference. So the state is uh, working with plans um, uh, to bring up that, that number. So um, even today, we uh, we sent texts to all of our members who have not been vaccinated. So we have that data: who's been vaccinated, who hasn't. We've sent text to all of those who have cell phones. We're calling all of those without cell phones, and and then um, the medical directors, I think it is, are having weekly calls with the state, and there 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 will be more initiatives uh, to to bring up those numbers. So. I know one issue for some of our plans has been that they haven't been getting good or um, quick enough data from the states about who's been vaccinated. So yeah. is the data that you're getting from the state, is it timely or is it still lagging? And, you know, how, how good is the data you're getting about who's vaccinated? So, so initially the state uh, was giving us claims data. And uh, so there was a big lag and, and it wasn't great. Um, uh, but, uh, but now, and, and the state has been, uh, giving us access to data right out of the, uh, registry, the statewide registry. So that's, that's pretty good data. That's, uh, it's pretty timely data. I mean, when we text and call these individuals, um, some of them do tell us, Hey, I've already been vaccinated or I had my first shot. Uh, but, but most haven't. So, so, it's, so the data seems to be timely and, and accurate. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Cause I think the last time we talked, it wasn't such good data. And that's so that's yeah. great to hear. I didn't realize it had, it had improved so much. So, so um, as we mentioned, you worked at four um, safety net health plans. What in your mind differentiates the safety net health plans from other health plans in the Medicaid space? Yeah. I think mostly about the, the three California plans that I've, I've worked at. Um, I think what separates them is is the local control. So uh, they their, their governing boards are made up of uh, representatives from the from the local community. So 
So here, for example, on on my on my board, uh, I I have a uh, uh, the director of the county healthcare agency. I have two elected uh, county supervisors. I have the county administrative officer. So four individ four individuals from the county uh, uh, that I serve. Um, I have uh, three or four physicians, four physicians on my governing board that um, that care for my members. So these aren't these are not only local physicians, uh, but they're physicians who treat uh, my members. I've, for example, I have an oncologist who treats my members. So so they know um, what the challenges are locally and they know where the opportunities are locally and they bring that uh, bring that to the governing commission. I have a hospital representative on, on my on my board. So um, so you know at the monthly board meetings we're getting very specific sort of feedback and um, and there's a lot of support and buy-in for for the plan. So I think that's one. I, th I think another is that our our board meetings are public. Uh, anyone can walk into our board meeting. Uh, anyone can can give public comment at our board meetings. Everyone, all providers have access to our board packets, including our financials. Um, so it's very uh, transparent in that way. It's open to a lot of feedback, but but by opening yourselves up. Uh, by opening the plan up to that kind of feedback, it also generates yields a lot of support from the community because they're familiar. Providers are familiar with the plan. Providers have a sense that they they are they own the plan, you know, along with the community. Um, so so I think uh, you know when I hear plans say we're community based, boy, I'm really the California plan. Public plans are really community-based, community-controlled, uh, that local control. Um, and, and I think what that does is, is, is causes you to have a focus on the community that you serve. So it's, it's sort of more than just, I'm just a health plan and I'm going to pay claims and process authorizations. It's, you know, when something like COVID comes along, um, you know, you need to be part of the solution. You need to work with the county. Um, you know, you're going to hear from elected officials. And so I, I think there's that. Um, of course, we're all not for profit. Um, and for me, what that means is when, I, when I'm working on my budget for the year, when I'm, you know, when I'm going through the year, I, I'm trying to put together a budget. Uh, I, I don't, you know, it's a problem having a, as a public health plan having it's a problem having a surplus that's too big and of course it's a problem to lose money so i'm always trying to get it break even um so so you know if you look at my financials you're going to see uh, uh, an admin rate of about four percent because that's a priority in the community most of the money ought to go to providers so so that members have lots of access and choice so that i think that's a differentiating factor and um, I, I think to the, the long-term presence. So we're celebrating our 25th anniversary. We've been in this community a long, uh, long time, and we have these um, 
long-standing relationships with providers. So, um, you know, I have all of the hospitals in my network um, and uh, they're public and private hospitals. And, you know, when it's, when it's time to renegotiate contracts, it's rare for a hospital to say, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to terminate. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we may have significant differences, but there's sort of this mutual commitment that we know we're going to work it out because we know we're going to both be here forever. So I think that long-term presence uh, gives you that opportunity. But, but I think the, the public plans also operate as according to the same sort of rigorous standards that you would see from commercial plans. So, you know, I'm Knox King licensed in California. I'm NCQA uh, accredited. So I, I have to operate. I have the, the contract I have with the state is the same contract that a Centene or a United that, that they have with the state. Um, I have to I have to comply with all the same you know uh, rigorous uh, quality standards and and so forth. And and in in my county where I operate, there there are two plants. There's one public, that's me, and there's one commercial plan. And and if you're a Medi-Cal beneficiary, a Medicaid beneficiary, you get to choose. You become eligible. You choose. Do I want that public plan or do I want the commercial? And you would think the majority would go with the commercial because that's they have the brand. But the fact is, in one of my counties, 93% choose me over the commercial plan. And in another county, it's 87% choose me. Wow, over. I knew it was high. I didn't realize it was that high. Yeah. And I think that's because I have all of those providers. Uh, mm-hmm. I operate a certain way. You know, I'm going to be in this community a long time. Um, so, so... I, um, to me, that's sort of the bottom line of, of uh, it, it, uh, is those Medi-Cal beneficiaries, you know, voting with their feet. Well, I think sometimes people are surprised when I tell them that four out of 10 people in Medicaid managed care are in the safety net health plan. So our, our plans individually might be small uh, relative to Anthem and United, but collectively uh, we're a big piece of the pie. Um, and then on the other the other part of the pie, the other 60%, of course, is Anthem and United um, and um, uh, Centina Molina. And over time, we have seen those behemoths grow, 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 because they're, they're buying up smaller plans, um, leaving our plans. Um, in some cases, our plans have been bought or, um, but for the most part, our, our, the boards of our plans are really committed for the reasons that you just said, they want these plans to survive. So what do you see as the future for safety net health plans, especially because they will probably be competing against these larger plans with the brand that you, you mentioned? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll, as as one illustration, um, uh, there's there's going to be an RFP in California uh, that's launched at the end of this year for for the commercial plans for for uh, for Medi-Cal um, for the different counties. And what the state is saying to counties: first, we're going to give you counties the opportunity if you want to change models. Um, and so, uh, so I think something, something like 15 counties approximately have decided, uh, to change models to have a public plan. Um, and so, so 
the public plans are in California are growing their footprint. And uh, I think uh, their reputations and their credibility are sort of statewide, causing those 15 counties to say, we want, we want that too. Um, uh, so for example, uh, the health plan of San Joaquin is going to expand into two. We serve two counties now, we'll expand into two more counties. Um, and there are two other health plans that will be will be expanding in, into those other 13 or so or so counties. Um, so I, I, I think what that says is I, at least in the counties we've talked to and the providers in those counties, hospitals and clinics, is that we like what we hear about the public plans that uh, that you're not for profit. Most of the money stays in the community that uh, most of the money is going to uh, providers, 96 cents of every dollar in our case, um, that you're really focused on Medi-Cal beneficiaries, that you're, you're mission-driven, uh, that you're locally controlled. And if we let you expand into our counties, we're going to get to have seats on your governing boards and we're going to get to you know, have a say in how the health plan is run. We're going to make sure it's running away uh, that uh, serves the residents of our county. Uh, so I, I think it's that local control. Um, I think there's a lot of confidence in the, in the safety net plans um, in California. And because of that, you see uh, service area expansions happening or that will be, uh, will be happening. And then, and then there's, uh, there's also um, uh, CalAIM, which uh, uh, is, is the state's initiative, uh, CalAIM stands for California uh, Advancing and Innovating Medi-Cal. So Medi-Cal is California's Medicaid program. And there are several initiatives in that over the next five, six years. So it's the state giving more responsibility to the Medi-Cal managed care plans, both public and, and commercial. And 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 so, so for example, one of the one of the initial in, initiatives that will be launched first would be uh, enhanced care management, and and in lieu of services. So, in, enhanced care management would be uh, uh, probably the most comprehensive form of case management where you're addressing the clinical and the non-clinical needs, and and. The thinking behind enhanced care management is that probably the, the top 3% uh, uh, of our membership probably takes you know, half the cost. Um, they have the most significant need. And so the state is saying uh, they're identifying populations. So homeless individuals, people with serious mental illness, people with substance use disorder, uh, people who frequently visit the ER department and have hospital admissions, people with multiple chronic conditions. The state is saying it's those people we want you to offer enhanced care management to. Uh, but enhanced care management only works if they want it. So uh, we can offer it to them, but they've got to elect to, to receive it. And then Another part of that is because the two are linked, enhanced care management and in lieu of services. So in lieu of services, the, the idea there is they are substitute services. So 
um, plans, we know there are some things you pay for today that are not Medi-Cal benefits, but you do it because you know it will save money. Um, it could prevent an ER visit. It could prevent an admission. So you pay for it. And so the state is going to start to recognize that. Um, and so uh, plans have to identify the in lieu of services. The state has a menu of 14 that we can offer. And so, for example, about half of the 14 are related to homelessness. So for the, uh, for the health plan of San Joaquin, uh, the in lieu of services that, that we plan to offer and include things like uh, housing, transition, navigation services, housing, deposits, housing, tenancy, and, uh, and sustaining services, recuperative care, short-term post-hospitalization, so, so things like that. So, the, so, so when we're talking about what's the future of the safety net plans, in particular in California, um, the CalAIM initiatives are, and in lieu of enhanced care management in lieu of services are just one of the many uh, CalAIM initiatives. So it sounds like both the state and the people are, are voting with their feet and uh, going more towards the safety net plans. So, which is great to hear. That's I think true in other parts of the country too, but maybe especially in California. And so the future is bright. It's probably always <laughs> a, little, <laughs> a little scary for our safety net plans. They've weathered so much and now getting through the, who knows if we're getting through the pandemic or not, but. I, I um, say for our employees, um, there's there uh, our future includes continued growth, uh, but unlike the Affordable Care Act growth, where it was new growth in the in the form of new membership, I think this is going to be growth in terms of we'll keep our existing membership mostly, but we're going to grow in terms of the services that we cover that we offer for the the membership that we have. So it's going to be revenue growth. Mm -hmm. And, and 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 more services that I think it ultimately saves the taxpayer uh, money. Uh, yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Um, it's great to hear your personal story. I didn't know that about being an aeronautical engineer. Uh, and it's great that you found your way to the first ACAP plan and then through some other ones. I think you. I'd love to find out if there's anybody else who's been in more ACAP plans over the course of a long career. But so, thank you, Michael. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Our next episode features John Loveless, president of UPMC for You and a former chair of ACAP's board of directors. Don't miss an episode. You can find and subscribe to the ACAP Coffee Break wherever you get your podcasts. And when you do, give us a shout on Twitter using the hashtag ACAP Coffee Break. We'll put you in a drawing for a Starbucks gift card. So the next time you tune in, your coffee's on us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.